Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit ByteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's show. Today, my special guest is Peruqua, and we will be talking about the voice of feminine healing and sensual enlightenment. Around the world, she fills huge stadiums, arenas, and concert halls bigger than Radio City Music Hall and Carnegie Hall. But in North America, she is still a mystery to be discovered. Peruqua, she is called by one name only, is a phenomenon in herself, bringing forth an extraordinary healing sound that is part singing in a range never heard before on the planet, part multidimensional healing, part evoking the feminine goddess within all women. Heraqua stands alone. There is no one else, there is no one else like her. She is a pioneer in opening sensual feminine essence to help women restore self-acceptance and love in their body. She is the roaring voice of true feminine essence, the world leader in applied spirituality for women. To a high, low, overtone form of singing she developed, Peruqua can produce up to four voices at a single time. It's a unique sound that has been scientifically proven to heal in many studies conducted with her. International recording star, renowned wisdom teacher, accomplished female shaman, master of multicultural music from jazz to Indian classic, to a sound uniquely her own, Eriqua opens women to a part of themselves often long buried or maybe never even discovered. Eriqua's influence has spread through the success of two globally explosive CDs, along with concerts and workshops around the world. Periqua's first public performance using her unique ultra-high, low-overtone singing occurred at a meditation concert, Voices in Cosmos, at the largest planetarium in the world. These perceived impossible soundtracks have also now become the foundation of several of Periqua's online courses. Her online platform of music, Sensual healing voices, courses, and events are impacting women everywhere, freeing them from emotional traumas, anxiety, limitations, self-recrimination, and more. Using her form of singing, Periqua produced the sound pill that helps hundreds of thousands of people to deal with stress and anxiety during the pandemic. This unique gift has shown to have had vast effects on human conditioning for all people, not just women seeking to find their inner essence. Uh, for more information, you can go to www.peruqua.com to experience her firsthand, and she is here today to tell us a bit about her remarkable story, her work, and her music. And so uh, with that, I'd like to welcome Peruqua. 
Paraquat to the show. Good day. Okay, everyone. Joining us today again is Paraquat. So, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. My deepest apologies. I'm, I'm calling all the way from Russia, and there seems to be no technical connectivity between our, our worlds. So, we've managed to use the old-fashioned telephone. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I appreciate you you're taking the time and, and going through the effort to, you know, to make that happen. And, yeah, it is uh, quite, I'm sure, quite a, a challenge. But, you uh, you know, I had when, when I first received information about you from from the publicist, I, I, I to be honest, I did not know who you were <laughs> at, at all. And um, you know, and I'm sure that you know probably many here in North America may not have heard heard of you. So I, I'd like to start with, um, can you tell us a little bit about your your journey, the beginning? You know when. You maybe you know, I understand you. Your early life was, was challenging. So can you tell us a little bit about you know that those early days? You know when when life what life was like, and then you know what what changed your trajectory. Hmm. Okay. So I guess your audience already understands that I'm very very deep in the singing world now for the last first two years. And um, many people think that when you, you know, when you have a gift, that it, it's something natural, it's something easy. But for me, it was a recognition that I had this gift when I was just a little girl, and I had uh, wonderful, wonderful grandparents, and they were musicians. So I spent the summers with them. I was always singing with them. And when I was little, I thought I'm definitely going to be a singer. But I fell under the influence of my mother, who I lived full-time with. And just imagine a woman who uh, loved money, who had parents who were struggling musicians, who spent a lot of time in the back of the car going from city to city, you know, as the daughter of two musicians. She said, that will not be for my children. (laughs) So I had a huge adversary that just, Certainly worked against me through all my childhood, and I certainly had a lot of challenges in the childhood because uh, I was born with a hereditary hip condition, it's rotation of the hip inwards, which makes you kind of walk like a duck, and by the time you're 40, you're pretty arthritic and almost crippled. And so when I was 11, the doctors finally said to me, guess what, Tarakwa, we have a new experiment, will you be willing to be, you know, one of our trials for this surgery? Because originally what they would do is they would dislocate the hips from the hip joint, turn the entire legs out, put bolts through the hip joint, and then put you in plaster cast from the hip to the toe for six months on each leg. So you're a year in plaster cast as, you know, as a disabled person. So what they presented to me was you could be part of our experiment, and we could just cut the bone above the knees, turn the entire legs around, put bolts through your legs, regrow your legs, and instead of your legs turning in, they'll be straight like a normal person. And I said, yes, I'm up for it at the age of 11. And it was pretty unsuccessful surgery, and of course, in hindsight, with what we know about 
meridians, bones, etc. You can't just cut basically the legs off and restitch them on and expect them to, you know, re-go into a natural state. So, you know, that was a huge challenge in my childhood. But one of the things that actually really, really woke up something very special inside of me, and that was this passion for life because through that surgery and post-recovery, I was in a rehabilitation center where kids couldn't walk and would never walk in their life, you know. And I knew mm-hmm. that if I just got through the surgery, I would walk. And it gave me just the most enormous gratitude for my life that I would have what I thought would be, you know, a, norm, a normal life. Of course, I didn't see what was coming was enormous pain throughout my life, but it was something that switched on my compassion for for people, you know, and um, and that was a theme, I suppose, that directed my life constantly was this enormous um, love of of myself, of people, and having to be incredibly strong no matter what the circumstance, because as I was going through that surgery, my mother was in a huge divorce case with a very psychotic man that tried to beat her and kill her, and I had to be strong for her too, you know. So by the time I was about 17 and my mother said to me, you know what, you just need to go and move out, live on your own, because I'm so in debt, I need to sell the house. And... uh, this was one of my big blessings that woke me up because I realized without my mother's influence, and this is the woman who did not encourage me musically at all, I left her influence. And the first thing that happened to me was I moved into a like a flat chair situation. And uh, the woman I moved in was, she was 21, I was 17. She had a single child. She was a musician, a university student. And when she heard me sing, she just said, oh, my God, you have the most beautiful voice. You need to train it, you know. And by this stage, so 15 years later from childhood, I really didn't believe in that gift anymore. And I said, what, you really mm-hmm. think so? And she, and she said, yes, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call somebody I know who's a great teacher. And this thing happened for me where I started to go to a jazz singing teacher and every time I went to class, I'd just cry my eyes out. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> but it was like my soul was just sending me this flood of this sense of grief and yes, all at the same time, like this is your life path. And then this same woman, who I was a very inspiring woman, she said, you know, Paraguay, if you could sing, what would it look like? She said, write it down. Write down a vision of what you would do if you could sing. And imagine that I'm 17, I'm in my last year at school, and I sit with a piece of paper and I thought to myself, it almost seemed like a wild dream at this stage, but if I could sing, I would sing to help to heal people, not just to entertain Mm -hmm. them, not just to make emotional music, you know, to make them laugh or cry, to really help to heal them. And and uh, life just kept, once I, I, I got on that trajectory of the soul, life did everything to 
keep me moving forward on that pathway. Wow. Um, yeah, when I read about your surgery, I just <laughs> kind of, it hurt me <laughs> to read about what, what it is <laughs> that you went through. I was like, oh, my God. You know, I just couldn't, couldn't imagine, you know, the pain that that uh, brought up. Um, now, also, um, I understand that um, while young, that there was a um, – a, a time where uh, your aunt um, shared with you her vision of, of your life, um, but her also her boyfriend raped you. Um, that I mean, you know, I hate to kind of dwell on that, but it, but it's or bringing it up. But it's one of those things where you know, um, like you said, that uh, the leg surgery um, brought forth that passion for life. So. When um, this happened, um, can you tell us um, how that affected you, um, your passion and your drive? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure, like everybody, somebody, there's a black sheep in the family, right? There's the weird one, and everybody (laughs) kind of says, oh, they're a bit weird. You have one of those in your family, Robert, or are you that person? Oh, a few. Of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, my auntie was considered that. Like, my mother said, don't you go and visit your auntie. She's so strange, you know. And uh, she lived on the other side of the country. But at the end of this 17th year, when I finished my school and I had this vision already, I went to her, and I was just before my 18th birthday. So it was literally on December 31st, I got off the bus, which was a 40-hour bus trip across the Australian desert from the middle of the country to the edge in Perth on the western side of the country. I got off the bus. My auntie met me, and she said, look, this man, you know, his name's Max, and, you know, he's my new boyfriend, and we're going to take you to the forest, and uh, we've got horses in the back. My auntie was a horsewoman, and her new boyfriend was also a horse whisperer. So they said, we're going to take you into the forest for a week. It's going to be incredible, right? And it was New Year's Eve when we finally arrived in the south in this very lush kind of Australian forest with horses, etc. We set up camp. We celebrated New Year's together. And um, it was the second time I'd met my auntie. So I knew that she was an amazing woman. And... Um, she went to bed at midnight after we, you know, toasted and we were drinking champagne and things. And then this man said to me, he was a very new man to me, like I, I, I decided I would trust him because it was her love, you know. Mm-hmm. And he started to speak to me in a very, very strange way, like, oh, have you lost your virginity? Do you have a boyfriend? La, la, la. You know, all those questions you ask kind of a young woman. And uh, I was very embarrassed, but I decided to trust him. And then he basically implied that I sh- he should be my first because he mm. was a mature man, you know, and that he would get yeah. it right for me, you know, and it was important. And I was trembling in fear at this stage. And I said, please, let's go and talk to my auntie who's gone in already into bed. And so he said, okay, we'll go and talk to her. And he led me into the forest. And he just laid me on a table and just raped me. And it was such a shock. Like, I just, I was totally gagged. I was silent. I was icy cold. 
you know, it was, it was one of those situations I didn't see it coming fully. And the next morning when I woke up, the level of shame I felt and dirtiness and the stench. Imagine I've been in a tent all night on my own, just trembling. And I wake up in the morning to meet my auntie, who's bright and bubbly and already got a fire burning, making toast and things. And I don't know what to do because this is her new man, you know. And this mm-hmm. is a situation I think a lot of women face after a rape. They don't know what. They're so ashamed. Like maybe, maybe they made it happen themselves, you know. And yeah. I thought, I'm going to tell her. And she said, my darling, after breakfast, let's go to the forest. And I said, okay, this will be my, my moment to tell her, you know. But I felt so ashamed. And she said to me, I've had a vision. Now, the reason why she was considered, you know, kind of the weird one in the family is she was a very <laughs> psychic woman. <laughs> so she could have this ability to see into the future. And uh, she was into spiritual books. It was a new age back in the 90s. You know, she was into Reiki and all these kinds of things. And... Um, she said, I've had a vision about you. And she said, you are going to be a singer. She said, but not a stage singer. She said, you're going to be a jazz singer, not a musical theater singer that you think you might be. You're going to be a jazz singer, and you're going to study at the conservatorium, and you're going to get a jazz degree. And then you're going to go to the next biggest city in Australia, which was, was the biggest city in Australia where the jazz scene was strong in Sydney. And then you're going to go to America, and from America you're going to go to the world stage. And when I heard this vision, one part of me was trembling with joy and another part just thought, that is ridiculous because you understand like you have what Berkeley School of Music, this is kind of the equivalent, you know, you don't walk in there with no training and say, hi, <laughs> I want to be like a dance singer. <laughs> and uh, so I thought it would never happen, but I spent the next year just, studying my ass off, like just working, working with the teacher, studying theory, studying singing two or three hours a day, waitressing tables so I could earn money and just sing, waitressing, waitressing. This went on for a year, and then after a year, a miracle happened. I auditioned, and I got in. They only took two singers that year. So, you know, this this was the beginning of the, the miracles that just kept leading uh, my pathway along the way. So they seemed improbable or even impossible, you know, the potential of what my auntie um, did. And then I guess you're wondering, did I ever tell her about the rape? Did you? Yeah, well, well, about a month passed and I couldn't tell her. I wanted to tell her, you know. Uh And finally, Mm -hmm. after a month, the man said to her, let's have a threesome with me and no. yes, yeah. and she oh. came home from him raging like you've been with him you've been and I said auntie he raped me her first reaction was not to believe me right but then she right. saw how I was just trembling with fear and how deeply in pain I was and because she was a mature woman she was in her 40s you know she understood that I was speaking the truth, which I was so grateful for. She left him immediately. And then that really began 
my own healing journey. So I was 18 by this stage, and I left my auntie's house, and I said, I'm going to the mountains to live. I'm going to rent a house by myself, and I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to study, I'm going to study singing. I'm going to wait tables. I'm going to try and heal myself because I felt pretty broken by this. But what was incredible that came out of that experience was that my voice woke up. I was not just studying um, theory and singing at the time, which I was, preparing to try and get into this conservatorium, but I started to walk a lot in the forest, you know, looking for, for understanding about where my life was at and how to heal myself. And this voice just woke up in me, and these sounds started to come out of me. They were like wild sounds. Oh! <laughs> like moaning, crying, raging, you know. If anybody heard me, they would have run a mile. <laughs> but um, this became kind of the beginning of the recognition that women lock down their voice when they have been hurt or abused, you know. And I healed myself by opening that voice up and reclaiming that voice and reclaiming um, my power. And, of course, later on in my life, I ended up making specific practices to help women take that shackle, that, that fear, that disempowerment off the throat and find their voice again that was not allowed to, you know, express in the moment where they were abused, you know. Yeah. So it actually became a really valuable uh, experience for me to be able to eventually, when I had enough maturity, to help uh, other women. And, and I have those kind of courses on my website where uh, people can go to paraquire.com and find that there's an enormous wealth of online courses there to help women with all kinds of blockages, emotional conditions, um, sexual blockages, etc., to really open the body, build trust, release guilt, many, many courses to, to help women. And uh, But that was the, one of the first experiences that started to open me to the fact that the voice and the connection to the body, to the earth, is instrumental in a woman being able to reclaim her body and reclaim her power and reclaim her sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it seems that, you know, the, having gone through those tribulations um, kind of uh, sets the stage. I mean, and, and, and the discovery of, you know, voice seems like um, it sets the stage for you having um, empathy and understanding of the before and after. And, 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 it would seem that it would empower you to be able to bring women along from that that beginning point to the full expression. So, I mean, it, it seems, you know, for people who are listening, for women who are listening, yeah, and men, but in particular for women who are listening, that, you know, if they are currently experiencing some of those uh, trials that you had, um, I would think that it would give them, um, encouragement to uh, to recognize that you know by giving voice you know to their power that it's a way to break those shackles. Absolutely, and you know I've worked with women from 63 countries around the world, 
Although you don't know me in a world, I have worked in America years and years and years back, but 63 countries. And when I ask a room of women who has been sexually abused or raped, you'll be surprised that about 60% of the room will put their hands up. Unbelievable. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And that's how much women have been silenced. I mean, this is not actually the true, full focus of my work, but it is something that, you know, when a woman breaks this shackle, her relationship to her body starts to flower, she starts to trust her man or men more, and she starts to experience uh, pleasure because the shame closes down the sexual energy and enjoyment of the body. So I found that this kind of healing is quintessential to a woman finding her essence and being able to rest, like to feel deeply, deeply in love and at peace in her body. Um, So, yeah, it's a very, very important step for women to make. If you think you can just sweep it under the rug, (laughs) women, you cannot because it affects your life in so many different ways. You know, even the way that you use your voice on a daily level, like how clearly you express yourself. When the sexual energy has been closed down, it totally affects the way that you even communicate, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. Deep. I mean, it's, it's it's an essential part of the human experience, you know. And and when when, when and when it's the flow isn't there, then you know that's when you know this ease can can be created. Um, now, you uh, you started you you mentioned um, studying jazz, and so uh-huh. can you tell us a little bit about um, you know. What you know? What that was experienced? Maybe even your your first concert. What what? How did? What was your feeling about you know your um, auntie's predictions? You know, starting to come true. <laughs> I mean, it was mind blowing. It really was. I mean, imagine my mother when I told her what I was going to do. She said to me, <laughs> "You'll never succeed. I'll give you six months, mm. and you'll be back at home asking for money." <laughs> And uh, two years later, I rang her and invited her to the conservatorium because I was giving a concert inside the conservatorium. My mother just sat there and wept. And she came to me at the end of the concert and she said, I'm so sorry. I just didn't understand that you had the gift. You know, her conditioning was so sick, like her fear was so great. And I think many parents can relate to this. You know, it's their fears that often make them uh, direct their children's choices towards something that looks more successful, not the path that's more challenging, you know, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. the one that is the one that is of the soul, you know. And um, that was was what I really got from my mother. So I was quite compassionate and I understood her fear. But, yeah, so when I first started singing jazz, of course it was extremely, really thrilling being on the concert stage, like really, really. But imagine after about, after I finished my degree and I went to that next biggest city, you know, in Australia, uh, and I remember being there maybe two or three years at this stage, and suddenly the dream seemed empty. (laughs) Like, I just felt as if I was totally on the wrong path. I'd become a very sexy mm. jazz, so like, you know, like the stage performer, sexy kind of 
guys saying I become very masculine, like cool. I de- I developed this whole persona that I'm one of the guys because I was always surrounded by men in the industry. I was one of the guys, so I I didn't really expose the depth of that original vision. You know, I wasn't even seeking it because uh, I kept it hidden very very deep. And one day I cracked. It was just like I felt like I was so incredibly lost after one concert because mm-hmm. I I started to feel this feeling of like a roller coaster as the serotonin in my brain in my body would go up and down and like if I got a good reception I was happy if I got a bad reception I was almost suicidal and I realized that I was really losing my original threat. And so I, I went to the to the ocean at this stage because the ocean for me was where I lived in Sydney and there's a famous beach there called Bondi Beach and there's amazing mountains around this beach and I went walking on these mountains and I just cried out to anything, like whatever I perceived the Mother Earth, the ocean to be, you know, I was just crying like, please, I was just sobbing my eyes out, just please, I'm so lost, like where did I go wrong, you know? And I sat down mm-hmm. on the edge of this cliff, and I really felt like jumping, you know. I was next to a graveyard, actually, up on this mountain. Oh. Like the most VIP mountain graveyard I think I've ever seen. <laughs> but I was right next to it, you know. I had the feeling of death all around me. And it was as though the elements just came and wrapped themselves around me. The wind was, like, mm. stirring around me. The water was spraying off the ocean. And suddenly I heard this enormous... Um, like a symphony of Mother Nature, as if she was singing through these elements to me, through the waves, through the wind. And I started to mimic it with my voice. Never done it before because I was a jazz singer, right? You know, sing like that when you're a jazz singer. (laughs) And uh, I started to feel this feeling inside, like peace. And two hours suddenly passed, like mimicking this sound. So I went back the next day. And the next day, and the next day, and I did the same thing. And after about two weeks, I felt this enormous beauty flow up through my body. And I just fell face down onto the earth. And I understood that there was this feminine energy just flowing up like vibrational energy through all of nature, through the entire planet. And whatever I attempted to sing to this point, was nothing compared to the beauty and the mm. power of that energy and how that energy, that vibration, sings through life, vibrates through life, gives life to life, you know, that life is actually vibration itself. And I had this, revelisa- this realization that there was a mother feminine principle um, in the earth consciousness and that she was holding and was at the very fabric of life itself. And when I had that realization, I said to this, it's not like there was a person there, but it was a presence. It was enormous. Mm -hmm. I said, is there any way I can see for you to touch other people, to wake them up, to realize they are not separate, they're not alone, you know, that they are not this, kind of human body separated on a planet, that they're actually the expression of the earth. You know, they're actually a living, walking body made from all the minerals, the intelligence, and everything. Mm -hmm. Of course, the soul is the soul, but 
the essence of life is flowing up through the body. And I said, if there's any way I can seem to wake that up in people, I'm a woman. Like, I promise I will give this life to this pathway. And But I had no idea how to do it, in truth. And I looked at the Aboriginal people that I knew. They, they wouldn't help me because I was a white woman. And, uh, and then within another two weeks, my auntie, my crazy auntie, she rang me from Perth, the other side of the country, and she said, Perkwai, there's a man coming to a spiritual festival, and uh, he's going to sing, he's Native American medicine man, he's going to speak, you've got to go and see him. I said, okay, auntie, I trusted her totally by this stage. Uh-huh. So I went, uh, so I went, and... Um, and I heard, I went into this festival, and uh, I heard this ancient voice singing in the center of the hall, like was sea of people, but I heard this, it was like this primal, like a lot deeper voice than what I can physically manifest. And uh, because it was a man's voice, I followed the voice, and of course it was him. And... Um, I went to speak to him afterwards and said, please, please, can you help me because I'm a singer and I, I just know that I have something special but I, I think that your people have the way to be able to sing in this ancient healing way. But I don't know how to do it. But I know you know how to do it because I can feel it in your voice. I can feel it in my body. You know, I have goosebumps. I'm crying mm-hmm. and things. And he said... Okay, little lady, come on stage with me tomorrow and sing with me. Well, that's what I did. And when I did that, it was like as though it was the answer to that request from from the great mother herself. She had sent mm. him. And he literally just scooped me up afterwards and said, we have many roads to travel together, many people to meet. But there was a huge hook that was attached <laughs> to that that well, that's a big hook coming up. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really, really big hook. Just put yourself in my situation. I'm 23 years old, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a young, mm-hmm. sexy jazz singer. I see my whole future in front of me. Um, and this man says to me, if you want to learn from me, you have been signed to be one of my wives. But not just one, one of seven wives. And you will have my child. So will you marry me? I was like, what? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) wait. You're out of your mind. (laughs) But, you know, it's a long story, but the essence of it was that the magic that this man carried basically destroyed my life as it was Mm. at that time. So I left my country. I went to the desert in New Mexico, uh, in America. Eventually, though I resisted, I did become one of his wives. And um, I was together with him on and off for like 11 years. And it was an enormous, um, like, cleaning out of all of the conditioning and the pain that I carried as as a woman in the world, all my ambitious, ambitiousness, you know, all my drive, my masculine, kind of overly overtly sexy masculine energy, 
was it was mm-hmm. all just destroyed over those years. And what was birthed inside of me because I was immensely committed, you know, to finding the connection to the source myself. And he was, as a teacher, that was his pathway as well. He was like, I'm not going to give you the song. I'm not going to give you the answers. You're going to go and sit on the mountain yourself, and you're going to go and cry for those songs. You're going to go and fast, and, you know, you're going to do those ceremonies where you find the source of sound, of the mother, of life itself. Um, And therefore, whatever you bring from that, it's yours. It's not something somebody Mm. gave to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was really the beginning of my my journey um, with him. Now, as I said, after 11 years, it was pretty much complete and we separated. Yeah. Wow. That's... That's um, that's an amazing uh, chapter, I would say, you know, that, um, but it, it seems, again, that this was one of those cases where um, adversity gave birth, you know, to um, like a course correction or course adjustment in that journey of yours. Totally, absolutely. It's like really drowning, and then <laughs> and then what comes out of you know when people die, they often come back to the body again. Like if they don't die for too long, and they have what they call that right. near death. It was like that in a sense. You know, it was like whatever um, I was that I truly wasn't, it died, <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. a new woman was born. But I had to be willing to let go of, of that old pathway in order to be able to be open enough and to truly, truly sing for the love of myself, of life, um, to growing this enormous connection uh, to both the earth and humanity. Of course, I was given a vision at that time and, and I started touring from about the age of 28 around the planet, teaching, um, singing, performing. I was composing a lot of music. I'm still composing a lot of music. Um, but I remember at that time, uh, as that was birthing in me, sometimes I was touring together with my husband, who became my husband at that time, sometimes without him. But at one stage, something woke up in me, and I started to not just have one voice. I started to have two voices at the same time. So I was like overtone singing, and there were like a totally different voice singing on top of my original voice. And I understood this carried a lot of power, and, and I went to him, and I said, wow, my next level of my gift working up. And he said, Paraqua, I forbid you to use that voice. And I was devastated. Wow. He, I said, why? And I wanted to be rebellious and say, no, I know it's my pathway. And he said, no, you cannot, or you have to leave me. And uh, basically he said to me, because he's very powerful, and you don't have that power yet, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was literally probably another 15 years before I started to explore that particular aspect, that because my voice already was showing enormous signs in ceremonies. People were going through deep healings and things. And eventually he called me um, to come to him once when I was in the other part of the world and said, you know, my cancer's gotten so bad. You've got to put together a healing ceremony for me, you know. And I was like the lead 
how to say, like the singing woman of that ceremony. So I, I started to understand slowly, slowly how to use that voice um, really for, for healing. But this next level, I guess, it didn't open up in my 20s, not my 30s, not until I was into my 40s. And I guess I had integrated enough humanness, enough life experience to where I was able to transmit that kind of healing resonance. I understood my body quite so well by that stage. I was very deep in meditation uh, when that voice started to open up. And I developed many feminine practices to help women open their body and open their, through meditation, through opening sexual, uh, in, internal sexual practices. And I mean with men, but with themselves, this original essence, this original feminine essence. I developed a lot of practices to help women open that up. But this was kind of next level. And, uh, I started to understand how to resonate the voice so that the womb center would start to restore itself, women start to feel the womb again, uh, be affected in their menstruation and all kinds of things. I started to, as, as the years passed, I started to wake up and understand more and more how to open heart fully with, uh, uh, with certain resonances and I started to compose soundtracks, just vocal soundtracks with layers of voice. And um, and as this started to happen, then I realized that there was a place in the world for me where I could mm-hmm. bring to the stage not just the art of my music, but the practice of the music. Music for practice. Music that opens the body. Music that opens the connection to the soul, opens the pineal gland. And that's when I did my first, um, I called it Voice in the Cosmos Meditation Concert. And um, and since that time, that's been a big part of the programs that I, that I offer. And they've grown and grown to, you know, now where I'll give a meditation concert where I'm mixing both my songs, which I've created and have like 10 music CDs. So I've created an enormous body of music to support women opening up and loving themselves. Some CDs are for men and women in their love making, some's for childbirth, some's for healing, you know. Um, so there was that whole aspect of music for, you know, your culture, for your dance, to make you feel good. But then there was a whole music I designed for practice. And then I brought that together on the stage. So half the concert would be for listening to the song, celebrating, and the second half of the concert would be, as is, I said, it's not in the past, it's actually still present, um, where I'm taking people into practice, uh, but I'm using these supersonic um, overtone voices so that people's body, even if they don't know how to meditate, uh, the voice just penetrates into the body and they drop deeply inside such a feel themselves as vibration, their own vibration. And um, so many people go through very deep processes in the concert meditation. So, you know, I can have 6,000 people, 4,000 people, 1,000 people in those kind of events. And then we mix multimedia with that because I thought, wow, imagine if people can actually see what the auric field is doing whilst Mm. I'm singing this kind of concert. 
And um, in Russia, there was an auric field scanner developed so that it can be connected as a scanner fed into a projector. And then my auric field is scanned and projected live onto a massive screen. So I'm singing, and over my, you can see my body, but at the same time, you can see the movement of the auric field as I'm singing. And it's something so mystical and so beautiful uh, to be able to transmit that for people to see, wow, I'm so much more. I mean, people are so much more than what they think they are. So it becomes a living yeah. witness to it and a feeling because they're in a unified field, which is very cosmic and loving. So people get this enormous feed of love and realization um, through that process. Yeah. Well, you know, it would be wonderful, I'm sure, you know, going through the experience and being able to visually see the changes. So, um, I think that just would reinforce, you know, the feeling. I remember the first time I had a, a, a picture of an aura, my aura, and it was, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> I mean, not, it was red and green, you know, so, I mean, it was... But it was, it was not a good um, thing. <laughs> no, I was not in a good place at that time. But, but I mean, it was, but to me it was, you know, and I had one done later on, you know, a couple of years later, which was better. But um, it opened up the idea, the recognition, you know, that there is yes. this energy field around me, and, and also yes. there were things that I could do to affect it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, when a person, if you could see a person when they're in love, for example, the heart energy is extremely magnetic and it's fluid and it's golden. And you can literally feel a person when they're in love, you know, when they fall in love with someone. Mm -hmm. You can actually feel when somebody's so positive, is so bright. You can't understand why they are so attractive, but they are, you know, <laughs> because uh -huh. we can't see it, but we can feel all the energy, we can feel the vibration, just like we can feel when somebody's in a bad mood and you're standing on a bus or, I don't know, on a train, and you suddenly feel terrible, but it's not your terrible, you know, it's somebody, the person standing next to you because they feel so bad, and uh, we pick that up in our own, or it feels, you know. For me, I, I realized uh, one of the capacities of my voice was to help people be able to clean their uh, auric field and their body uh, with my voice. So I created um, a couple of different courses to help people. One of them is a free course. And uh, I developed it in response to COVID. And I remember when people were freaking out, they were so afraid, et cetera, et cetera, and so stressed. I created a course from stress and anxiety in harmony. And I created a very special soundtrack with these super high vibrations, like sometimes I'm hitting 1,300 hertz with my voice. Normally music's vibrating around 440, 500 maximum, you know, but I was just really hitting these hugely high frequencies in this track in the overtone. And people in 15 minutes of listening to their track were finding that the stress they felt was gone, they suddenly felt their own body, and... I always, uh, my practice is to give people a practice so that they consciously enter their body themselves because they need to be responsible to themselves, you know, and then to add the voice aspect 
which is where they just consume the voice or listen to the voice through headphones um, in order to amplify that condition, you know, into a positive state. So that's one of my courses, which is for men and for women. Um, that's on, on paraquive.com, and it's a free course. I still have left it there as a free course because so many people use it. And the other course I recently released, because the world is moving deeper and deeper into this chaos and a lot of negativity, uh, was to give people a tool on how to protect and clean their field when they feel fearful, stressed, negative, like strange things are happening in their body, bad dreams, um, you know, the presence of not nice energies around them. So I created a, a course of protecting yourself from negativity. And again, I created a vocal soundtrack there that I call The Exorcist, <laughs> um, <laughs> where I'm using these incredible frequencies that just shake the field, you know, clean of, and rebalance the field. And, and because, you know, as you know, I'm sure, sound has been used throughout all times, through all traditions, in order to clean out evil or negative energy. And uh, so, of course, I learned a lot about that with my voice, how to do that. I didn't mention that my first husband was also an exorcist, so I was exposed to a lot <laughs> through that world, you know, and how to help people reclaim themselves. Well, you are just a, a bundle of, <laughs> of experiences, Wonder, you know, very interesting experiences. Um, you know, we're, we're coming on to the end, end of the interview, so, you know, it's, it's wonderful that you offer that, that free um, course for people to experience. Mm -hmm. um, what, what um, you know, looking at today's world, where we're kind of in a, almost a post, you know, pandemic kind of world, um, what, what do you see as, you know, um, we kind of like how your music can help those kind of adjust to this kind of new reality that we're, we're experiencing? Well, one thing it does is helps to clean out a lot of the pain in the body and a lot of the mental stress in the body and past experiences in the body. It also creates a very, very positive field around people. So you could have it in your headphones, you're coming home from work or, you know, going to pick up the kids from school, you've got it in your car. It creates an extremely positive field around you yeah, and, and around your family. So people can use it in a very practical way. And, of course, most important, I think, it's not just that we're in post-pandemic. I actually feel that we're now going into the next level of chaos. Pandemic was like first step. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I think we're going down the rabbit hole for a while. And mm -hmm. if people do not meditate, they're going to be at the mercy of the pressure of the world. So... For me, it's about giving uh, people practice. It shouldn't be too long. It's just 15 minutes at least a day to come into the body, to feel their own vibration, to let the stress out of the body, to tune the body, to open up their love in the body. Because this is the only way that the world makes sense. If you tune into the media all the time, except for great shows mm -hmm. like this, of course, but the general <laughs> media... <laughs> you know, uh, you're going to be constantly bombarded by negative influence. If you have negative people around you in your life, it is imperative 
that you enter your body consciously um, through meditation practice. I have a lot of them on this, um, and the soundtrack amplified the ability to be able to fill the mind and to bring you into this sense of deep, deep inner love. Because without love, the world is not making sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially where it's heading right now. Yeah, most certainly. Well, uh, Periquois, this has really been wonderful. You have your website is loaded mm-hmm. with gems, <laughs> you know, treasures yes. for people to exactly. To there's a lot of video clips on there of um, of me singing and dancing. They're connected to YouTube. There's ten music CDs. And there's about 15 courses there to support mostly women, but some women, as I said. Great. Well, thank you very much. Now that I know who you are and how wonderful a life you are, I'm going to be following you and and uh, kind of uh, taking in um, taking in what you what you have to offer. So thank you very much for your time today, and I appreciate you uh, taking the extra effort to, for us to connect. Thank you so much, Robert, for having me, and I send big love. To all your listeners, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Paraqua, and we have been talking about her unique journey as well as um, her music and, and courses and everything. Again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is paraqua.com, and that's www.peruquois.com. Everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit byteradio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.